put your name on it. Just put your name on it. That's all I say. Be a man or a woman. Put your name on it. It just clicked in my mind that if you just run through somebody's face, a lot of people ain't going to be able to take that over and 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 over again. They're just not going to want that. Run through a motherfucker face. Then you don't have to worry about them no more. More stories. Here we go. I got two uh, veterans here. These guys are heroes, actual heroes. Um, they have a band called Silence and Light. The website that you're going to go to is... Si- you are going to go to it. Private pile. You will negotiate my optical. Silenceandlightmusic.com. These guys are just great dudes. They've been there. They've done that. They've had bullets whiz past their heads. Um, and they're here. They're in a great band. And all the proceeds... Uh, that can go to the charities, go to the charities of warriorsheart.com, marineraider.org. These are, this is just absolutely legit. I put my name on it, and the music's really good. It actually sounds like if Nirvana kept going, what their next album would be, and I don't say that lightly because I'm an audiophile. It's Brad Thomas of the United States Army. Yay. My man, Tyson Stahl of the Marine Corps. No, who decided the difference? You're gonna have to. If you're gonna speak that quietly, you gotta get real close. All right. There you go, Tyson Stahl, who could kill me with his freaking eyelashes. Good God, he looks like a hockey player just got out of a fight. You look like John Oliver. <laughs> you guys look very different. Yeah, Mutt and Jeff. Yeah. Wow, but you're both uh, able to murder me with your hands. First thing I noticed when you played me the songs was it really sounds like Nirvana, and that fascinates me because one of the guys in your band was in Nirvana. How did you get him uh, into your band and explain who he is and all? So, this is uh, Brad Thomas talking, United States Army, Delta so Op. Jason Everman, he's he's the bandmate you're referring to, but Jason and I have known each other for a long time. And uh, I, before joining the military, played music. So when I got to the Ranger Regiment where I served for you know the better part of eight years, um, everybody knew that I played music. And when Jason entered the Ranger Regiment through word of mouth, I heard about him because they're like, you're not going to believe this guy that's up at 2nd Ranger Battalion in Seattle, Washington, uh, used to be in Nirvana. And everybody's like, you got to be kidding me. So not only was he in Nirvana, he was also in Soundgarden and then in another band, Mind Funk, before he joined the Army in 1994. I just realized I'm an idiot. <clears throat> we were talking about it. Tyson Stahl, United States Marine Corps, <laughs> and a Marine Raider said uh, he was on the Bleach album cover. Yep. Yeah, he's. And I'm like, what? He, he joined the army after he was in freaking Nirvana and and toured with Soundgarden. Yeah. He, uh, Holy smokes! You know, What's wrong with him? He's a he's like uh, <laughs> the most mysterious man in the world. Yes, you know? and he really is. He's done. He's personally he's he's one of my favorite people on the on the face of the earth. And uh, as good-hearted and, and big of a human as you could possibly be, I think he's done just about everything. You know, captains boats and sails and yeah. does all kinds of stuff. He's never sitting still, and uh, I absolutely love it. So it, he was kind of turned off by the music industry, and, and that's why he left it. 
So when I approached him about a year and a half ago to start this project, um, I was kind of concerned that I don't know if he's going to be into this, you know, but I can't think of anybody that I'd rather be writing music with than a guy that, you know, we served together or at least at the same time have shared the same battle space and the same battlefield. And, you know, how better to write something that's from the heart than with a guy like that. So that was, that was where this project started was me talking to Jason in Manhattan and, uh, we were hanging out at a bar before going to see Mastodon in concert. And, <laughs> you guys are the best. <laughs> yeah, and got to hang with Bill Keller from Mastodon. But anyway, um, I approached him and said, you know, look, I can under- understand if, if this isn't something you would want to be a part of, but I really want to start this musical project. Uh, I don't know where it's going to grow, how big it's going to grow or anything else, but write some music and take the proceeds from the royalties and give them to charitable organizations. And that's ultimately what this is about. Um, you know, so the whole point of the project was to be able to take some of the things that we've seen on the battlefield and not, not write songs about war. It's, it's not really about war. It's about emotions. And I think that it's emotions that everybody can relate to that's experienced loss, whether it be losing a pet, whether it be losing a family member or, or whatever, but writing songs that then people can go purchase when they buy it on iTunes of the proceeds that we get are going to be given directly to the charitable organization. So that's going to warrior's heart and it's going to Marine Raider foundation. Um, We're not taking any of that personally. So, you know, what, what you're doing by buying a song is, is giving directly to those, those organizations. Warriorsheart.com, MarineRaider.org. You get the music at SilenceAndLightMusic.com. This is the whole reason I have a podcast. The fact that a million subscribers, you know, if ten percent of my listeners can go and and don't rip it, don't steal it, because this is helping veterans. And what I dig about uh, WarriorsHeart.com is firefighters, EMT workers, like they they need some help sometimes. A lot of trauma. You said this project in describing you and Jason Everman. I'm going to get to Tyson in a second. When he's done grooming the dogs upstairs, I'm trying to think of the weirdest thing I'm doing. Did you set out to have this project for to be of service? That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. So it initially started as something that I felt like uh, after retiring from the army in 2010, uh, and you see this in the veteran community, you, you see it anywhere. But actually, what inspired me to contact you was listening to Justine Bateman and her talk about. Uh, falling from fame and and really the same thing happens to veterans you identify as an operator you identify and you do things that are extremely important for your country and sometimes things that you can't even talk about with your own family like in in my situation many many situations like that but when that's over and you get out the door hits you in the ass and there you are your identity is gone you don't have that same sense of purpose that you did when you were serving. And so what I've seen and everybody that's retired after me that I still communicate with, everybody struggles. They go for about a year and a half and they're excited to be out because they can go do whatever they want. They don't have to answer to the man, you know, et cetera. And then the boredom kind of sets in and they realize that what I'm doing isn't as important as what it used to be. And so for me, finding the purpose was giving back to the community. And that's, 
the the way that I selected to do it was through music because I've been artistic and musically inclined since I was a super little kid. So you were classically trained. You went to school for guitar. I right did. First. I did a year of classical guitar major in uh, in college, and and didn't do well. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, the most successful people usually don't. Yeah. Uh, Tyson, you're in it for the chicks. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> no. Um, I need to go linearly here because there's two guests, so I don't want you to think I'm boxing you no, out. you're good. Tyson you're good. Stoll. Uh, that's fascinating that you were listening to. If I would have thought that having Justine Bateman, who's promoting an exceptional book called Fame, about falling from fame, losing your identity, was going to get me Brad Thomas, the <clears> Delta <throat> op, uh, Black Hawk Down, you were on, on the team. Like You were one of those guys that inspired the, uh, the, the book is so exceptional. You can't make that book a movie. There's too many amazing details. Um, that that was going to bring me you as a guest, I would have said, how? That's impossible. And I'll tell the listeners how. I answer my emails. I may be months behind <laughs> at morestories3737 at gmail.com, but that's exactly why you're listening to Brad Thomas uh, and you're going to listen to Brad Thomas talk about being uh, in Mogadishu, Black Hawk Down, and getting high-value targets and Ranger School and stuff, and Tyson will tell you about his trip to the Pearl Vision Center, not sponsored, because <laughs> uh, he. I got to bring his chops. I just keep engaged somehow. Uh, it's because you emailed me and just said, "This is my story. This is what I want to do," and I just absolutely. And that was like six months ago, at least. It was, uh, and that's on me entirely, by the way, because. I think it was January when you responded, so I don't remember when the first email Probably was sent. the other sent. January after that. I listened. Uh, the podcast with Justine was on in October, so it was probably soon thereafter. And to be honest, I got turned on to your podcast through Tyson. He's the one that, that brought it to my attention. Yeah, my... Uh, <clears throat> my really? Let me... Let me, well, let me shift attention yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Let me move my chair over to <laughs> the important guy here. How you doing? I'm glad I gave you a book. Yeah. So my uh, my brother and his best friend growing up are they're uh, warriors for sure. What are their names? Both first and last. Yeah. Hoot hoot, uh, hoot hoot. Yeah, that's my brother. Is he related to Bootsy? <laughs> hoot yeah. Stall and uh, Jonathan Gupton. Jonathan Gupton. Yeah. Hey, Jonathan and Hoot. What's up, gentlemen? Thank you. I love you. You yeah. know, I mean that. What's his, what's Hoot's real name? Who, not really. His real name's Hughes. So my, uh, you had me. Yeah. So my, my dad uh, uh, was a basketball player. He played at UNC in the '70s, and then he played professionally in Italy for a couple years. And when, when my mom got pregnant with Hooch, she came back to the states, had him. All the Italian neighbors were asking, "What's?" I'm his... sorry. When my mom got pregnant with Hooch, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what happened? Huh? Huh? How, how does that work? <laughs> Who gave that to her? <laughs> my dad. All right. <laughs> But uh, their, their neighbors couldn't say Hughes, so it came out like Hoot, and he's just been Hoot ever since. You know, Olden Polonese, the center and former NBA center, great, been on the podcast. His name is Holden. He's named after William Holden, the actor. Mm -hmm. But in Haiti, nobody really says the H as he said, so it's Olden. <laughs> and he, you know, yeah, he, he hit the jackpot because his brother's name is Widmark. If it was Widmark, I'm like, Skid, where's Skidmark and Olden? <laughs> So Hoot and Jonathan, gentlemen, thank you very much. And just proof that I answer emails, morestories3737 at gmail.com. And I'm grateful that you're a warrior too, my man. For and sure. Your, your brother Hoot <laughs> and Jonathan uh, gave you the heads up. And yeah. you gave my man Brad the heads up. If you're interested in life coaching, it's 
coachjj37 at gmail.com. It's not a joke. Uh, testimonials are up on my website, jmore.com. It's, I take it very, very seriously. I love you guys. And um, best I could put it, this is just me doing a plug because we don't have ads really, thankfully. And um, I, God spoke to me once. It's a she. And she let me know my, my purpose in life is to separate people from their concern. So let's get you unstuck. If you have a hunch, follow it. That's your intuition. It's never been wrong. It's your brain that gets involved with your conditioning and your history that kind of steers you off the path. But here's the good news. You got to be on a path moving forward to get fucking lost. So you're already ahead of the pack. Now, Brad Thomas, uh, guitarist in Silence and Light. You guys better go to silenceandlightmusic.com. Just go right now and just root around and get this damn music. Don't steal it. Buy it because the money goes to the people that need it the most, people that are serving us. When you um, are in ranger school, you told me on the first try we were doing this podcast and I just obliterated your secrecy and very <laughs> secret mission. I'm like, so when peek, you... Uh, peek behind the curtain. When you <laughs> kidnap the Lindbergh baby, he's like, I can't say that in public. <laughs> yeah, can't talk about that. I'm like, oh, we should start over because there's no way to do it. When you're uh, in ranger school, it, you told me it was 72 days. Yes. And so they try to break you, I'm guessing. It's, it's more to put you, make you cold, wet, hungry, and tired. To break you. They want to say to right. break. Well, yeah. it's, it's not to break you. It's not, a, it's not right. a test of that way. It's more to put you in the worst possible situation because they can't replicate combat. So you're fatigued. You're hungry. They take all that stuff away from you so that they want to see who can lead and who can't. And then there are four different phases. One's in... Uh, Fort Benning, Georgia, one's in the swamps of Florida, one was in uh, the deserts of the deserts of uh, El Paso, Texas. Yeah, I mean, LA is a desert, just, and then, it doesn't have to have rain, that's all. Yeah. And then another one is in the mountain, mountain phase was in uh, Dahlonega, Georgia. So not only are you dealing with different environments, but then you know, have to deal with different obstacles, everything else. But anyway, the whole, the whole point is it's a leadership course. It doesn't sound like it. I'm not arguing with you. It just seems like, let's see who we don't want being a <laughs> ranger in combat. There's, there, I think, a lot of that with the instructors. So you're graded. You have to at least pass two graded patrols. So you're in charge of running a patrol. And you have to at least pass two patrols per phase to move on and graduate. What would a patrol entail? Like, give me a, uh, an example of one of your patrols in ranger school. So you have a, a platoon of guys. A ranger school is probably... How many guys in a platoon? Uh, maybe 30. Might be bigger than that, but four right, squads. Yeah, right, and then it's broken, broken down into you know, different duty positions per squad. But... You might be the platoon leader, patrol okay. leader, or you might be the, the platoon sergeant, or you might be a squad leader. And, and basically, you're leading your guys. They'll give you an operation. You have to plan it, go out and execute it. And uh, when you come back, they'll do a debrief and everything else. So, so you're in the swamps of Florida, for example. You, uh, you get your mission. Uh, is it in a sealed envelope? Is it, uh, is it eyes only where they just tell it to you? No, so you'll, you'll do uh, eight days of the phase. Each phase was like 16 days long. Eight days of the phase was like an instructional piece. And then eight days is living in the swamps. But who tells you what 
it's going to be? It would be one of the Ranger cadre. So one and of they the go, hey, I need to talk to you in my office real quick. And they go, you're going to go to the swamps for eight days. No, they will assign a new chain of command. So they would, the first thing they would do is come in and say, okay, X is the platoon leader. Uh, X is the squad leader. And they break it down that way. And then uh, they'll pull that chain of command together and they'll say, okay, you're responsible for going and conducting an ambush no later than X, Y, and Z in order to, you know, gather intelligence or, you know, whatever it might be. But they give you a mission statement. Then you have to take that mission statement and location and everything and then plan and then disseminate that plan to all your subordinates. And then you have to go and successfully conduct the mission and, uh, and then get yeah. graded for that. So generally what they do is they don't give one chain of command, the entire operation. So that's what's kind of tricky with it is, let's say I'm in charge and I do the plan and I disseminate it to all the, all the subordinates and we start moving and we're moving from point A to point B, they might stop the whole patrol and say, okay, new chain of command. Now you're the patrol leader. You have to go execute my plan. Wow. You may, as a, so, when, so when Jay is leading the patrol now, Jay may say, Okay, we're going to frago this a, a fragmentation order and say, uh, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to do this a little differently. Here's my plan, disseminate it, and then we're going to move out. And then, so you never know when you're going to get put in charge. So it forces you to have to pay attention kind of the whole time, which sucks. Well, yeah, I mean, if somebody dies, yeah. right, but next that's, man up. Or, right. I mean, I don't think they fly a guy in from Annapolis to. Right. <laughs> You know, by the way, this is your new leader. He'll be your... Uh, shoot, his flight's late. Well, I hope right. they don't fly somebody in from Annapolis. I said to, that on purpose. To the Delta Force. <laughs> yeah, no, I said that on purpose. It's Navy. <laughs> Good. Well done. Uh, now I know you're entirely present. You'd be amazed how many guests yeah. just go... Yeah. Just roll with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, what struck me about that is no later than. Like, you will do this mission no later than. So then it's up to you to... I'm hypothesizing. You could leave that office, tell your guys, and just pack some bags and do it that night if you want to do it shitty. But as long as, let's say, I don't know, June 1st. So like, there's guys that could go out at May 22nd, May 23rd, the morning of, the night of, May 28th. It's real. the fact that they leave you that ambiguity as to, it's no later than, they don't, you know. Well, they're, do, they're doing that to put more stress on you. So yeah. it's a time crunch. Rather than like in the real world, you have a certain, you're either responding to actionable intelligence and going out and, and smacking a target, or you have something that's pre-planned. Like we know this guy is going to be at X location, you know, so we can kind of pick and choose when we want to go there and hit it. So in Ranger school, what they're trying to do is place more pressure on you. So cold, hungry, wet, tired, all that. Uh, and then also time crunch. So... You have very little time to plan and organize and everything else. People have to be switched on. And oh. then we've got to go do this thing by no later than this. If you're late. I wish I was in ranger school without all the work. If you're late Just by a minute. like, I'll fucking pull that off. If you're late by a minute, you're, you're a no-go on your patrol. That's, like, yeah. that's it. It could be two seconds if you're, if As you're it late. As Right. That's the difference between a bomb landing where you're sitting and at my son's school a thousand yards away. Sure. It's two seconds. Um, Mogadishu, when you were in the Rangers, you were in, uh, I don't want to use the wrong terminology, but certainly your platoon, you were in the platoon that went over to, 
What would you call that? The bunch of guys that went to you're the on the team. Guys. It was a it was a company and basically task. Now, how force, many people in a company? I'm interrupting on purpose. Task Force Ranger was put together under the guidance of uh, then the president, who basically wanted us to stop the warlords and fighting that was happening in Somalia. Uh, that was the noble, resulted in noble like, effort, a noble idea. Right. Right. But all the aid and humanitarian aid and rice and, and things like that, it. right? Well, they weren't getting it. It was being stolen. And, no. then, and then we're fighting and killing the Americans and others that were there as a part of the UN. So Tyson, sit tight. We had, uh, I'm going to ask you about the scent of a woman later. Hoo-ha! Task Force Ranger was capped at 400. And that was the total number of the package that could go over. And it constrained the force considerably. Because there would be more things that we would bring had we had the numbers to be able to bring more. This fascinates me. Having read the book Black Hawk Down religiously, like by my nightstand, would refer to it after I was done with it. I never got the sense that 400 people went. I got the sense that it was like eight choppers and the first guy out of the chalk. First guy out of the chopper, like he had a malfunction with his rope. And fell out of a helicopter, broke his back, so it went from search and destroy to search and rescue immediately. Yeah. But the fact that that was 400 people. Well, not really. Because so if you think about it, in the service, like any operational unit, any... Now he's directing his attention back to me. It's so odd. I want him him back. It's all right. I'm going to give him negative vibe from here. I'm impervious, (laughs) bro. Bring it. Uh, Any (laughs) operational unit, right, it has support people. So of the helicopter, like a helicopter doesn't fix itself. It doesn't gas itself. So you have crews and things like that. And then even a, a part of the, the on-the-ground fighter, like there's a whole support package that comes with that too. You have intel analysts, people that are looking at targets, looking at you know, information that they're gathering. Um, but there's a, a giant supply people, the people, cooks, everybody, right? And it takes... It takes that whole team. It's another thing I've always kind of talked highly of the support people. They don't get the glory because they're not, they're not there on target. But if it weren't for them, none of us would be successful. So, you know, I always, I always give them props where I can. Black Hawk but, Down, people, I believe the perception is, and please, I'm, this is what I feel, and I'm asking so you can correct me if I'm wrong because that's the best thing to do. It seems like general perception is uh, we went to do something in Somalia and everything got fucked up and we just had to come home. But in reality, we went to keep the warlords from committing genocide, essentially from starving yep. aid. That we're, we're send- you send, uh, hey, here's some groceries. Bring it to the old lady that can't leave her house. And that kid takes the groceries, goes home and eats them. Over the course of a year, you're like, this motherfucker. But macro, macro. Yeah. Um, but it became a search and rescue because one of the guys out of the helicopters had a malfunction and like landed on his back. The first guy, I believe, is that correct? Yeah, one of one of the first guys. So, so to so it's incre- correct that slightly, do it all at once. So what happened was the Somalis know we're there. If we got helicopters and guns, and they, it it became a, a, an absolutely insurmountable. One would think battle as far as the numbers Somali with pregnant women standing in front of them whacked out in the heat on this cocaine like a uh, root cot cot yeah against very few 
Americans. It's, it's one of the greatest victory battles in the history of warfare. It's yeah. insane. Um, so please correct as you go. That's, that's my sure. overall super broad stroke on it. Yeah, I think in, on, a bigger, on a bigger scale, I think there were about 150 guys that were on the ground. So um, you had about 150 guys of the Rangers, which is the only part that I can speak to in, in terms of Mogadishu, maybe 100 guys on the ground. There were 77 Purple Hearts. So an extremely high number of guys mm. that got injured. So back that up even further. Um, we did seven successful operations. So that's not talked about in the book because the book is just focused on what happened on October 3rd and 4th, 1993. In we did seven? Yeah, we did. Oh. Task Force Ranger did seven successful operations. So what happened was the aides getting ripped off. The warlords are fighting. The main warlord that that, you know was identified as the being the problem was uh Mahama Sumner Red Farah Idid. Oh. Right? So I say his name again because I talked over it with a stupid joke. Muhammad Farah Idid. Okay. Um so he was he was the main guy. So we got tasked with capturing him. And then to get to him, you can't just go after the guy. You have to figure out like is Muhammad where's his where's his buddies, you know, who are his lieutenants, who are the lower level nugs that you can go and, and roll up that'll turn on him and rat him out. And that's, that's kind of the way it went down. So we did uh, seven successful operations. And then at the end, I think because of the public perception of, you know, look at the poor starving people. Why aren't we helping them? Had been shoved down everybody's throat. And then next thing you know, we have a military force there. And the military force, you know, faces this extremely significant uh, combat situation I don't think that people knew that, that there were people there doing active combat operations. And, and those you know, combat operations were to make sure the people that needed to be fed got fed. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's a beautiful mission. Yeah, definitely. Wow. So 150 guys on the ground that could actively fire a rifle or whatever other sidearm. Who against how many Somalis during the course of that time? What was it, the general number of Somalis that took shots at you guys? So there were, in the thousands that were killed, to give it a little perspective, and, uh, you know, going from point A to point B, so I was responsible, one of the things that I did... 5,000 uh, Somalis total? No, I think it was kind of like fighting the whole city, in a way. Uh, what's that yeah, number? So every, trust I, me. I don't even know what that Ish. number would be. Thousands. Got- I'm, I'm thinking it's in the in the five thousand range. So my answer was right. Yeah, Jesus. you're correct again. <laughs> I'm still your favorite. No, you said no, not five thousand. More like five thousand. So I need the listener to process this. A hundred and fifty defeated five thousand while trying to keep someone alive and being. To get them home because they're not ambulatory. They've fallen out of a helicopter. 5,000 Somalis. Granted, they're not trained like our guys are trained, but they're fucking angry. And I say this about fighting all the time. You can't teach anger. That's a foe. 5,000 to 150. And how many of those 150 came home, Brad? Uh, There were in total... uh... 18 killed in action 
And then there were a lot of people that, you know, we never saw again just because their injuries were significant enough. And then guys got out of the military and, and that whole process starts to happen. So, you know, like as an example, I was uh, one of the people that helped get Ranger Blackburn, who's the, the young private that fell out of the helicopter, uh, threw him in the back of a vehicle and brought him back to the hangar. And during that engagement, and we lost a couple of other people just trying to get him back to the hangar. Um, I never saw him again. You know, yeah, he gets he, airlifted. He lived, yeah. but he gets airlifted you know, somewhere for he, treatment, right. and then he goes about his life and yep. you know wherever. And medically retired, more than likely. So medically retired out of the military. So 150 versus, let's say we're approximating 5,000. We lose 18. They lose thousands. Yeah, that is great training. Because. I mean, there's a lot of becauses. What really struck me the most, I'd like you to describe to the listener in the book, was the lack of communication because the way the hierarchy of communication is set up. There's a plane that reports to a lower plane that tells you guys what to do. So you guys are like on Avenue A. You don't realize that Tyson is just on Avenue C, two blocks over. And you're like, where the fuck is Tyson? And so you go, we need to know where Tyson is. Then they go up to the big bird up top. So far, am I correct? Yeah. And then they report back to the middle plane and the middle plane goes, he's on Avenue C. Well, right now he's back on 13th street because minutes have gone by and they've been running. Yeah. So you get to Avenue C and you're greeted by 500 Somalis. And that happened the whole time. Yeah. There was a lag in communication. So even, I think what was being communicated it we was, get mad it was our being repeated. The ass is behind. Right. It's like, <laughs> fucking way to go. Rosewood's behind Tele- me. Siri, you dick. <laughs> Holy smokes. So telephone game, right? It's a little bit of that where something's being communicated through a third party and then you're getting that information slightly late. And then the second part of that, which is probably depicted in the movie and, and booked to some degree, but then there were physical barriers that were would be maybe the place you needed to go you couldn't get to because... They had burning vehicles and tires out in the Buildings. road, you know, uh, but had, had cars and things like that on yeah. fire out in the middle of the streets and in an attempt to funnel you into another ambush. So I basically spent the entire time on the ground fighting from one ambush to another. Who was the guy that played dead inside the downed helicopter? And when Somalis peeked their head in, he would go ping, ping, and he picked them off with his pistol. I don't know. I don't. I don't. That fascinated me. Yeah, I don't know who that was. It was a guy like that in the longest day. His parachute. He came down exactly on a spire of a church, and he was kind of like hanging there, like, oh yeah. no. <laughs> and as the sun came up, he acted like he was dead. Yeah. And Germans are like, how are they saying in German? Be mine, be mine. About if I sound like Kennedy, uh, there was a dead man on the spire of the church, and then they'd be talking, and he would just take his sidearm and point it, go. And, and they would just act dead again. They couldn't fucking figure out where it's coming from. Yeah, but you know what I'm talking about? Which guy? Yeah, I, yeah. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know who that was. Wow. Yeah. Um, Whatever it takes, right? Yes. I mean, yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's astounding. And also in the book, I mean, you were on the patrol that inspired the book, so that's why I'm going heavy on this, and it's really fascinating, and you never get a chance to ask questions like this. This donkey... During these firefights where people are dying and shot, heads are coming off, literally, arms and limbs. I just remember the author just talking about, and this, this 
fucking donkey just kept just walking running. up and down the street with not a care in the world. Never had a, like George Washington. <laughs> yep. Just out front on his horse, like never got a scratch on him. And the Indians got spooked and came to our side because they thought he was a ghost. Like, do you remember that donkey? Yeah, oh yeah. I, <laughs> I remember that. that remember, like, that's one of the things that stood out to me. So combat in general, just to kind of like educate everybody because probably most of your audience doesn't know war or understand it. Right? Well, of course not, yeah. Um, most of it is your brain trying to deal with what it's seeing because the things you're seeing are so surreal that they don't register. Whether it be a teammate who's holding his lower leg from falling off of his upper leg to animals just lying dead everywhere to women that are killed or children or, you know, things happen and uh, not in a murderous way, but that's the part of war that I don't think that people really can understand or appreciate is that your brain cannot really interpret what it's seeing. So these things like the donkey stand out. How many, how many, it's gotta be almost 1 million rounds flew past that donkey. Yeah, I don't... The biggest I, target there. It probably got turned into a game at some point. I don't know how it was depicted in the movie, but people probably... I don't know if it's in the movie. It. I couldn't get through the movie because, <laughs> you know, it's hard. It's like an MTV video, uh, you know, because it's combat. They wanted a lot of angles and shit and yeah. shots, but the book was just so thorough with the human element. And that's what I love about the band, um, what you described. And you guys got to go to that site, silenceandlightmusic.com, and download for the money... Uh, their music. It's good stuff, man. I put my name on it. Warriorsheart.com and marineraider.org. They get uh, proceeds from the royalty. Silenceandlightmusic.com. Go to there. You spoke when you were describing the band. You spoke a lot about heart. And, you, you did, and when I listened to the lyrics, I don't know what the name of the second song was you played me, but an empty silence consumes the void you once occupied. And there was a lyric about something like, with your wings and look after me. Unfurl your wings and look after me. That's, that's a lot of heart, man. That's, I don't know how you sing that live. Because it's about your fallen brothers. And you guys have a lot of heart. I think that's another misconception about men that serve. Is You guys are beauties. You're sweethearts. Like it's not... Yeah, willing, willing to lay down our, line, our lives you know, for others. Multiple times. You know, it's not it's not like something that either Tyson or I did, you know, once and then saw the monster and left, you know, but to, to have a career in that is a completely different animal. Most people, they don't they don't get it. They think of like, oh, you made it to Delta Force. What was that like? It must have been like winning the Super Bowl. And I try and explain to people that I feel like elite military is very similar to I use the NFL analogy. Right? It's one thing to be lucky enough to get drafted into the NFL. There are a lot of people that do. It's another thing to be the star of the team, you know, the guy that stands out, and to do it for, in my case, 12 years, 12 years in Delta Force, to do it for that long, every day is a selection. Like They tell you that even when you get there. Selection never ends. Selection is an ongoing event. Because you have to prove yourself constantly to be good enough to be there. There's also the celestial selection of who lives, who dies. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's a, and injuries and luck and a whole lot of other stuff. So it's a, the randomness astounds yeah. me. Um, Tyson, you still here? Yep. Where'd he go? Get out from under there. It's weird. 
Uh, Brad said something that I starred for you for a question as a, a guy that saw combat in the Marine Corps. You can't re- you can't replicate com- you can't replicate combat. Right. Um, things that are so surreal, your brain can't process it. Like that's half the battle. Um, those are my words, no longer Brad's. Is convincing yourself, no, this is real. There's a guy holding a pregnant woman and shooting at me from behind a pregnant woman. Um. What do you remember as your first experience of that surrealness in combat? I mean, obviously, just somebody firing at you is, wait, yeah. really? Are you out of your mind? Right. But speaking to, like, you know, uh, somebody holding their leg, like, you know, it doesn't have to be anything crazy. It could be something that you didn't think would be it because it seems inconsequential now. But what was the first experience you had of something so surreal, like, you had to convince yourself it was, it was actually happening? I mean, I, I, I think... Probably the the very first time you get shot at, you know, and and you don't really know um, what to expect. I mean, you kind of have an idea from training, and and you've heard, you know, maybe from the rifle range what it sounds like having bullets snap over your head, and it's, you know, but if your expectation is what you see in a movie, you know, it's <clears throat> it's it's almost underwhelming in some ways. Um, what is underwhelming? The the sort of the sensory experience. And then, in and then, actual combat? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hold on. Underwhelming. Not, not... No, no, no. Yeah. I, 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 I'm thinking what you... I know yeah. where you're coming from, so I just want you to keep going. Yeah, it's, it's just not... Um, it's not this massive sort of, uh, uh, you know, experience where you... It's like you walk through this invisible plane and all of a sudden I'm... I'm in this, you know, giant battle scene, you know. There's no soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, you know, it's a lot of noise. Um, dirt's kicking up around you. You know, you can feel the, like the wall in front of you getting hammered with bullets that are aimed at you, right? Um, and, and you just, you know, you just have to start thinking about, all right, well, I've got to resolve this, right? How, what, what do we do next? Where are my guys? What's, you know, what's the next... Uh, next step in this and and you just execute but I mean and, and Brad's talked about it you know uh, before talking about Mogadishu and, and getting shot at and I think the the quote I remember you saying is asking if they were shooting at you with 22s you know because it's just it's just like a really it's not going to get through my armor yeah, yeah it's like a little dinky snap you know and, and, and until you start to see what's happening you know as the stuff's like tearing up the, the ground around you and and you know, ripping through metal and people and, and all that, right? It, it just, it starts to, to hang on to you. I mean, one, one, one experience that sticks out to me, though, is um, in Afghanistan. We, we would drive through this riverbed and, uh, you know, go visit the villages. And I remember, <clears throat> I mean, the Taliban would hole up in the hills and just hammer us. And there was this guy, you know, Bullets are kicking up, you know, dirt all around them, RPGs flying one way, rockets from us flying another way. This guy's just tilling his field. I mean, literally, like, the, the, the world around him is just erupting. And he's just trying to grow his plants, you know, do, do his thing. I've heard that a few times from different vets. Do you think it's the, like, I've been, I know they're not shooting, nobody's shooting at me and i got to get this work done? Mm-hmm. Or is it... It has to be like just depersonalization to the experience. Yeah, it's probably somewhere in between. And that, yeah, and that's something we can't even process right, either. Right. I have to think like 
my theory on why there's so I don't even know, I don't even think it's a theory. The reason guys have so much trouble once they come home, and by trouble I mean it's just laying in bed at night, is when you're getting shot at, you have a new, very truthful definition of reality. There is only now, you hear it over and over from like, mm-hmm. you know, in Buddhism and self-help books, Eckhart Tolle's, a Thich Nhat Hanh, there's only right now. Right. And we get consumed with doubt, fear, anger. If you have fear, you're living in the past. If you have, if you have, uh, you know, anger. If you have, ang- yeah, if you have anger, you're living in the past. If you have fear, you're living in the future. There's only right now, and right now is beautiful. But when that moment of right now is not beautiful, and the only reason you're aware of that right now is because someone's shooting at you, when you go home and lay in bed at night, and right now is an empty room. Suddenly, what we know as normal civilians becomes almost, I would think, mentally insurmountable. How hard a time did you have once you were home and after you, like, part, like, like as Brad explained, like guys come home and they're just like, yeah, this is great. Yeah. How hard a time do you have just being alone with yourself? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a, an ongoing process. Brad and I were talking about it a little bit this, <clears throat> this morning. You know, I've, I've been out of the military almost three years now. Um, and, and I think even just coming back from deployment, right, and getting my feet back under me and figuring out how to have uh, relationships with people, how to, you know, because the people that you're with are are the people that are doing that with you, you know, and, and then um, you come back and <clears throat> whether it's, you know, friends, girlfriends, family, what have you, you know, you, you have to uh, learn how to be in a, a relationship that, that is... Uh, it's more 70-30 kind of swing and gate type thing than it is the, the, yes. the 50-50. That makes such sense because it's not what I, I just wrote down, relationships, and uh-huh. it ties to what Brad was saying on yeah. the Justine Bateman podcast about losing, falling from, falling from fame and losing your identity. Mm-hmm. Your identity when you're in, especially in combat, is I said do it, do it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. no questions asked. Yeah. And you come back home and you have a girlfriend and you're like, we're going to drive this way. And for the first time in four years, somebody goes... Why? Right, right. You you haven't been think about that, listener. You haven't been asked why <laughs> in four years. We're gonna go through that riverbed again, even though the last six times through these guys hammered the shit out of us mm-hmm. with small arms fire and RBGs. Nobody goes. Why don't we take a different route? Yeah. Hey, there are none probably, but <laughs> right. That's gotta be the kookiest thing. I've never thought about it till right now. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll put it in perspective for you. My my last day in uniform was a Friday. It was the weekend after the 4th of July. Um, got my paperwork. My buddy came down, uh, filled up a U-Haul truck, moved back uh, moved back to Raleigh. And I, I didn't have a job at the time. I, I got out and uh, really had, had little to no plan at all. Um, and uh, <clears throat> But I knew I was going to help coach high school football, which I still do. Um, oh, man. yeah. And it's, uh, you know, and, and you get it right. There's so much, uh, re- reward in that. And I think somewhere in my subconscious, just aside from, you know, having played football, I was like, you know, this, this seems like something I, I want to do and something that'll help. But that Monday I'm putting a bunch of 15, 16 year old kids through a workout at six o'clock in the morning. And you want to talk about expectation management, about what that life uh, you, you know, uh, that I lived versus the life that I'm in now. Those poor kids. Oh man. It, it, <laughs> yeah. We've been out here for 17 yeah. hours. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I've been, uh, my, my good friend is the head coach and, and we've had 
some conversations. Not he's never once told me to tone it down or do any. I mean, I, I think the the Marine and the football coach in me, uh, you know, kind of de- defines my coaching style. But my expectations uh, of of myself and how to deal with people that didn't sign up and go through all the hard training and selections and stuff to be, uh, you know, in the Marine Corps, right. Versus the kids that choose to give all their free time to play high school sports. Those aren't the same thing. There are parallels for sure. Right. But I had to learn how to, how to talk to people, how to convince people, um, you know, teenage boys to do stuff that they didn't otherwise want to do in a context that had nothing to do with life or death. That's that's the context, isn't it? Yeah. When my mom died, I realized, oh, this is the reality. Yeah. Nothing in my life is going to be this crazy, this right. upside down. And that was actually this odd comfort. Yeah. Knowing like I'm here. Yeah. Um, but that never changed. Like I was never in the Marine or in Brad Thomas's case, the United mm-hmm. States Army, the Delta Op, or went to Ranger School. But it, you're asking kids to do things they don't they don't want to do, but they don't think they can do. So my right. job as a coach is to keep having them see there's more value to them. Mm-hmm. And then they fulfill it. Yeah. And you just go incrementally. Yeah. But what no kids need to realize in sports is they're there voluntarily. They don't have to do anything you ask them. Yeah. Like you guys have to do it or you get court-martialed. Right. You go, go on for a run. You're like, or I go home and play video games. Fuck you, old man. <laughs> yeah. They can yeah. say that whenever they want. <laughs> yeah. And no kid realizes yeah. it. So I always open a new practice with a new team. Like, you guys are all here voluntarily just like me. Yeah. There's two exits. Yeah. So, just so you know, you don't have to be yeah, here, yeah, and you are going to quit in wrestling, like, bye-bye. Oh, yeah. I want you to quit yeah. sooner than later, because yeah. I don't want to be in some damn situation where I'm like, now you quit? We're waiting <laughs> yeah. in. Yeah. What was your first, uh, Brad Thomas, what was your first moment of, this is your brain having to process that it was actually reality, what was happening? Um, so, this is one of the things that I like to talk about in terms of death, right, and in terms of military death. People are under the, the, the mind frame that like all, all death comes from combat. And I know by far more guys that were killed in training accidents or suicide, murder suicides in some cases, you know, bad situations. Uh, but no, far more people that have been trained, uh, killed in training than have been in combat. And so a lot of times I think the tendency is to not recognize people or they see some, a service member and it's, they think that they were fighting on the front lines. And, and in many cases, because of what we talked about earlier, there's a big support package that comes with any operational thing that goes out and does stuff. A lot of those people haven't seen combat, aren't going to see combat, will never see a bullet, never hear a bomb. Uh, and a lot of them have, you know, their base gets rocketed and they're a, a, a technician of some sort sitting on a base. But, but hands down, uh, more, more guys killed in training than, than you would think. And so just getting on an airplane to go jump, right? So I'm going to go conduct a military free fall, strap a, strap a bunch of stuff on me at nighttime and at 24,000 feet. We're talking about jump training. Out. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump out of a, a plane at night and do all this. That, that seems to be the part that people think, you know, okay, that's the dangerous part. Well, just getting on that plane. Like stuff happens all the time. So you're constantly surrounded by it. It's not something that like, okay, we're going to go deploy now. You get back from a deployment three days later, you have to do a jump for pay because you get incentivized pays for doing special jobs. Um, 
we're going to go do a pay jump and a dude burns in and dies. You know, so he just lived through our deployment and then you come back and deal with that. You know, that's got to be pretty surreal. Yeah. Yeah. And then another part of that, that, wow. that I think too, is you said something earlier and you were talking with Tyson about, um, you know, guys struggling and, and laying in bed, thinking about things and things like that. Um, I'll tell you the one thing that I've seen, and it goes back to purpose, right? It's, it's guys that got taken out of the fight before they were ready to get taken out, you know? And I think using the NFL analogy that we were discussing before, uh, it's like you see these guys that are crying on the sideline after they, you know, hurt their knee or something else because they, they're not ready to be taken out. They're, they're out there doing it, what they love, what they're passionate about, what gives them a purpose, and then it's taken away from them. So hey, it's Tuesday. The, it's three thirty in the afternoon. Just want to let you know your career is over. Yeah, you've right. been here a year and a the half. The thing that you you're, love doing, you're done. Yeah, gone. Well, you know. Bye. Yeah. Oh, and, and in many cases, you know, you're disfigured, or you don't have a part of you that you used to have, or uh, you don't get to get back on the horse and ride it. So I feel like the best thing that I did after Mogadishu and after seeing the monster was stay in. And most of those guys of the, of the 150 that were on the ground, most of those guys got out of the military soon thereafter. You know, they were on their first enlistment or they were career guys that had been in, you know, and were on their second or third enlistment. But a lot of those guys got out, whether they were uh, medically retired or whether they just ETSed and separated from the what's service. ETS, what's ETS mean? Uh, I don't know. It's a military acronym for... It's EAS number. Okay. Being finished, in, in the yeah. Basically, it's like you, you fulfilled your four-year enlistment gotcha. or okay. your whatever. Um, but anyway, those guys, those guys got they got they got something <laughs> taken away from them, and they don't get to finish it. So for me, staying in and deploying again and actually getting shot at again was almost therapeutic. As crazy as that sounds, but it was very therapeutic to see that it's it's all random. Like you have no control over. You can do the things that you think you can do to be successful. Uh, on an operation, but like ultimately when bullets are flying, there's so many little pieces of supersonic metal flying through the air and you don't know where they're going to go, who they're going to hit, who, who they're going to rip through or, or miss or anything else. It's just complete randomness. So I never, I never felt in terms of on the battlefield, I never felt so much scared, like I'm going to die. Oh my God. It was more of knowing that there's a cost to everything. So there are people that want to go mix it up and get in gunfights and pre-war because I was in the army for a long time with no war. Um, there were guys that would, you know, let's pray for combat. Let's pray for this thing to happen. Like, yeah, let's change. I would too. I was one of those guys. And then you see, you see the monster, right? And then you're like, yeah, let's pray for it not to happen. Like, I don't, I don't want to have to get in a gunfight because if we're exchanging bullets, that means we failed at something else. So we were either compromised or we didn't, you know, use the right That's thing. not always the case, though. Like in Mogadishu, you got to know when helicopter's landing to go take out a high-value target. Sure, but in a perfect world, you're planning for, you know, we're going to go in, we're going to do this, we don't have to shoot anybody, we're going to capture who we need to capture, and we're going to leave. Yeah, what That's you the said goal. that I liked is there's no, you have no control Right. Yeah. Um, and you spoke about it being almost therapeutic. And that makes me think of the Buddhist now. Because when you're in combat, you're aware of reality. That's, that is life when sure. those things are cracking. So maybe 
could that play to how it's therapeutic is you're not addicted to addicted to the strong word you're not drawn to combat as much as never in you two as long as you live until the moment you die you will never experience that now again it, it's the it's one of the purest experiences i think because it's all it's i mean like you say it's it's now it's it's visceral and you don't you don't get to process it because you don't have to process it you just have to be in it you have to do what's next yeah yeah of all the days Corey, that i wrote down on a piece of paper to life coach myself because i was all over the ice this morning and i showed you guys the piece of paper yeah (laughs) i'm like jesus what do you need to mentally prepare for next and i wrote down my answer what do you need to do next right now and my answers weren't the same and i wrote "Uh oh (laughs) you guys saw it yeah i I think in combat like that's the 72 days of ranger school that's the basic training is i have to bring a i have to bring a reload to this guy over here like that's all i know right now yeah and that probably is a very good way to live (laughs) without bullets flying obviously that's astounding and the other thing you keep saying the monster yeah, I want you to just kind of explain that because it's an amorphous definition because it's in basic training, it's in ranger school in Mogadishu. You called it the monster. Yeah, what is the monster, Brad? Um, I, I think that's just the side of war that you can only understand. Right, I was talking earlier about the surrealness of things that you see, and just. It's a completely different animal. It's not what you see in the movies, although there are some that have done a good job trying to depict it, but it's never a completed thing because your emotions aren't in it. You're not, you're not there. You're not living it. It's not your life. It's not everything you that you're saying. You can't describe the monster. Right. I mean, not you specifically. It's, yeah. You know, like, what is that old like Taoist thing of the way can't be explained. If you're explaining the way, you're not, you're not in the way. Right. Or whatever. Something. I'm paraphrasing. So how I would guess it's impossible to keep the monster from being on a flight home. Is that accurate? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's, I mean, you, I, I think you would actually have to be a psychopath and not well to be in firefights for a year and then get on a plane and be like, all yeah. done. Like you're leaving a secretarial job. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think though that a lot of guys try to do it and just speaking well, for myself cool, yeah. you, you know i mean you 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 get good at putting things in boxes and putting those boxes away and compartmentalize yeah, it you can, for, yeah. for sure and uh but that leads back into the whole you know relationship piece and and just being uh being aware of those things being aware you know aware of the subtleties in your own uh rhythm and, and sort of the differences and and if i've learned anything about myself over the last three years versus the 11 years that I was in, um, it said I paid very little attention to those things until I got out and having gotten out and through the band, through coaching, through, uh, through everything that I do now, um, you know, there's, there's a, a, a place where I can touch those things that are imprinted in my system forever, you know, from those experiences, you you know, the, the, the monster, you know, to, to use that uh, that explanation, I mean, it, I think you carry it with you from the first time you experience it. 
you know, and, and it's being aware of how it sort of manifests itself in, in who you are day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute, um, you know, and being able to kind of massage that thing a little bit. The, the band's music, silenceandlightmusic.com, and Instagram is silenceandlightmusic.com, is that correct? Uh, silenceandlightmusic.com. So on Instagram, follow them, silenceandlight.com, if you want to download the music uh, and help out these great charities for these extraordinary men. You guys are extraordinary men. Thank you. I'm, uh, I can't even make eye contact with you now. Not <laughs> out of fear, out of humility. Like, jeez, I tell jokes for a living. The monster... Yeah, I have, a, I have a, a thought I wanted to complete on that. Please but, do, yeah. No, I interrupt too much. So, um, I, I have to say the best advice I have received in life was from a unit psychologist that came and talked to us after Black Hawk Down and before we got on the plane to come back home. And he said, men, you've experienced something that gives you an excuse to go do all these bad things, whether it be you know, spousal abuse or drink too much and fight or, or whatever it might be. And if you do that, you're letting them win. And he said, and the last thing he said was don't let them win. And I feel like I I've applied that, you know, is about as good as I can, uh, you know, to not, to not make it something or give it enough power so that it controls, uh, bad things that I might do. Just 150 versus thousands, 18 on our side, Past thousands on their side. Oof. Yep. That was not, you never stopped. You no. never stopped pulling the trigger. No. I shot over, me personally, shot over 5,000 rounds in the 18 hours. 18 hours? Yeah. If you had to, I'm going to go back to the monster and do like a little life coach exercise. I'm not life coaching you right now, I'm just. If you had to assign it a color only, what color is it? Um, when it's inside you and your gut. I think it's red. Okay. Where in your body do you feel it when it creeps? Uh, mainly in my ears. How about you, Brad? I mean, uh, what's your name again? Tyson. <laughs> Sorry. Tyson. Ron. Uh, it's, Billy. Uh, hey, Ron. <laughs> Steve, hey. Dave. It's hyphenated. I like it. <laughs> where the monster, give it a color. It's, uh, it's yours. It, it's like a dark blue. And where do you first? Where where when it first creeps? It's what part of your body? It, uh, my chest. Gas, solid, liquid. Solid. Stabbing pain, dull ache. It's just a, It's like a swelling presence. You. Uh, for me, it's it's all the audio stuff. So red in your ears, and it's it's not like in my ears. It's just like. The sounds, all the sounds, like the visual piece, never really bothered me. I don't, I don't know why, but it no, wasn't. I'm not, I'm not asking what bothers you. I, I just like, yeah, yeah. I, and thank you guys for sharing it with me, because and that's as deep as I'm going to go on that, because I'm just a big fan of lessening these things. Right I've, I've never yeah. been asked that, it, and it's, it, it's. I'm a different like, breed of cat. Yeah, well, yeah. I know that. It's, uh, it was just an interesting dark blue just, in your chest. Yeah. Wow. What would you name it? Because give it a dude's name. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. Because if it was a life coach thing, I'd go, give it a name. When we yeah, see it, just yeah, go, right. look, Fred. <laughs> yeah. Beat it, you prick. You have no power here. Uh, and 
I felt sort of dirty running that past you guys, but I did also know it's, it, it would serve the podcast overall. When you get high, you know, you've been asked, uh, Tyson Stahl is with me from the Marine Corps. Uh, you know, I'm so used to doing radio, I keep repeating who's on the air, yeah. but it's, it's okay. a podcast. It's in the fucking description of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Tyson, when you were given uh, like orders to go get a target, mm-hmm. there's got to be times where you, it seems so inconsequential. Like, what the, f- what are we doing? I mean, I know you can't ask why. Sure. And there's got to be other times where it's, oh, shoot, that's the highest. Like, we have to go get Mussolini. What's that feeling like when it finally comes across your desk when somebody says, this is, the guy. This is who we have to go get, this guy? Well, I, guy. I think you know, you know going into it, it's, it's, uh, it's always there. So that's your goal. I'm really proud of you guys. I don't know you that well, but I know you because you're on my podcast and there's nobody here I don't want to talk to. And you guys are just, I would never, first time I've ever said this, with, and I've had lots of veterans on, it's the, you're the first two guys I've ever met that I would never go combat. Like, you actually look like John Oliver. He looks like a hockey player. <laughs> he, in a bar, I'm like, this fucking asshole, this yeah. fucking Casio uh, keyboard, he hangs around his I'm neck. I'm proud of that, though. I'm actually proud of that. And I love... Not the way you look, though. What I'm saying specifically is the yeah. vibe. Like, when I see a fighter on public... I know he's a fighter. Sure. I'll assign it to people that aren't, but when I assign it to somebody that is, they always are. Mm-hmm. Is that because of the leadership role? I think, I think um, I'll, I'll frame it up like this, and I'm not referring to myself as a badass by saying this, okay? But sometimes the baddest motherfucker in the room is the quietest dude, too. Yeah. And so what I've seen in the military, first of all, to, to be an elite level, uh, in an elite level unit for that long, like, Physical fitness is is one thing, but maintaining that and you can't and be mindset. you can't be a giant uh, you know yeah. weightlifter and then go run through the poppy fields in Afghanistan with all this gear on. Yeah, you but know. I'm, but I'm talking the brain. Yeah, like well, when you guys walked in my house, you guys could have just been in a band. Sure, you could have been like, we play hot. Like you actually both look like hockey players. <laughs> I'd be all right, but it's like I've been in a. How many missions overall total? Three uh, hundred. I've been three hundred missions. I'm you know I'm a, I'm a you know Raider Marine. I've been on a hundred missions. I'm not putting words in your mouth. You didn't say that. I did. <laughs> I'd go. Wait, what? You know Sam Sheridan. I gave you the book Fighter's Heart mm-hmm. and the Fighter's Mind. He's with the Gracies doing jujitsu in Brazil, and he's he's wrestling with these guys are also humble fighters. Are so mm-hmm. humble, and he's like yeah. It makes you humble, but you also have to have the humility in your heart to be successful as a fighter. So it becomes like chicken or the egg. Which one, which one comes first? Your humility, Brad and Tyson. Your, your humility, which you have in spades. Your no need to walk into a room like, yeah. You know? Right. Or, yeah, which comes, it's, it's the humility comes first. Like it's in you the whole time. It doesn't, it builds character, but it reveals it too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm and proud that, of you guys, man. Uh, thank you. Like, wow. I, like I said, for me, I'm, I'm actually proud that when people meet me now, everybody that, you know, if we start talking back like, oh, what did you do 15 years ago? Or what were you doing, you know, 10 years ago or whatever? Nobody in a million years would guess other than the couple of bracelets that I have. That are, yeah, but you buy those you know, at like the Vietnam Wall. Nobody cool. would guess that, that I was in, in, uh, in Delta Force. Nobody. Yeah. You know, and I love that because that means... I was doing the right thing. These bracelets, mom. And that's my uh, brother-in-law who was killed September 11th yeah. in the towers. 
as soon as I saw it, it didn't say play my fucking bones. Yeah. As soon as I didn't see your name on it, I went, all right, let me get those back. Silenceandlightmusic.com. Uh, and the Instagram is silentandlightmusic.com. And what happened with Scott Husing and what happens with Pete Turner and Johnny Walker, who's one of our Iraqi brothers, started as an interpreter, became a spy, just got naturalized actually a month ago. Mm. Um, and others, as I get to this point where I'm like, yeah, you just, yeah. So I, I can't answer this and I can't talk without getting choked up. So, yeah. Put your name on it. And thank you. And we're, I'm going to get a lot of traffic to uh, silenceandlight.com, silenceandlightmusic.com. And the fact that the proceeds go to warriorsheart.com, marineraider.org is just, again, the humility, that heart. And I, I'm happy to know you guys. 24-7, 365 for the rest of your lives. You need a ride. You need a dentist. You need an acupuncturist. You need a massage yeah. from somebody that's not me. <laughs> you need to know where you can get tickets yeah. for anything. Yeah. Uh, Jesus Christ, and I am a Christian, is my witness. I- I'm here. Yeah, appreciate right. it. Yeah, thanks, we, thanks for having us on and supporting sure. the whole cause. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's huge, man. It's, it's, okay, we're more ears for a reason. We're going to get involved. I want to say, what's up to my man, Hoop? <laughs> yeah. Put your name on it. <laughs>